Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Well, after almost 700 days without a game, the All-Whites uh, returned to action last Sunday when they beat Curaçao 2-1. Uh, and tomorrow morning at 5am, they'll come up against the old foe Bahrain, uh, reliving memories of that wonderful encounter uh, at the stadium there in Wellington to qualify for the World Cup. Uh, joining us to review and uh, preview the football action is former Wellington Phoenix star, of course, a Millwall star as well, and playing his trade all around the world, uh, as Paul Eiffel, uh, good morning to you, Paul. First of all, I need to clarify something in my own mind here. Paul Everton Eiffel. Now, from Barbados, I'm saying you're not named after the football club, but maybe someone else. Yeah, probably more likely Everton Weeks, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, it's a pretty common name in Barbados. My father's called Everton, and it was my it was given to me as my middle name, so definitely not the football club. No, absolutely. Uh, it would have been Paul Millwall. I feel if that would be the case, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, hey, Paul, uh, what did you make of that, that first outing for the All-Whites and, and all that time? Frustrating for international football that they haven't been able to play. But here we are, they're back there and uh, picking a team from about 16 divisions of football around the world. He, he came up, Danny Hay, with a winning formula straight away. I think, it's, I think it's great that we're in a position that you can pick a full squad of European-based players. I think, you know, I look back to when I arrived, whether it was 10, 11, 12 years ago, um, and there's no chance that would have been the case. You know, we had probably five, six maybe playing in Europe, so it wouldn't have been possible. So I think it shows where the game has, has gone, got to. Um, New Zealand are capable of producing players of, of playing at the highest level. Um, and I think that, that will, you know, bode well for the future, obviously. Disappointing that we had to wait so long to, to see it, but I think Danny picked a, a strong squad Young squad as well, something that um, looks great for the future. And you know, for a first hit out, I thought it was it was decent. A few debuts, um, a lot of young boys uh, played very well and sort of put their hand up for future inclusion. What about the style of play, Paul? Uh, I used the four-four-two diamond formation against uh, Curacao. So finding that 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 style of play, that combination, um, uh, that was quite key because you didn't have a lot of preparation time to do it. No, but I think if you look at the the makeup of of the squad, a lot of those players have played together over the years. You know, um, a lot of them were actually at the Ole Academy um, and were were Eastern suburbs with Danny as well. So I think he's been smart there in, in getting players that he knows well, the, the young boys that are, I suppose, pretty malleable to to the way he likes to do things. Um, and obviously, the, the time he's had them in the squad, in the squad, um, they've managed to work on a game plan, and, and you know he's been able to get his philosophy across and his principles. And you could you could see that. Um, starting to sort of bear fruit and obviously it'll be a tougher test against Bahrain um, put them under a bit more pressure but I think it's it's, it's a great start um, and, and you know long may it continue it's nice to see a New Zealand side trying to keep the ball and, and play football in the way that I think is the right way Who are the names that impressed you the most perhaps uh, in particular on the younger blokes? Um, I think Joe Bell continues to get better and better um, Marco Stamich you know he's I think he's just 18. Um, I played against him 
a couple of years ago in the, in the Central League as a 16-year-old and, you know, a fantastic player. So it's, it's nice to see him step up. Um, Elijah Just, Callum McCow, you know, there's some good young young players that are already sort of um, treading the path in, in Europe. But I expect a lot of those to go on to, to bigger and better clubs as well. Oh, Dan, uh, interesting for me that, um, you know, uh, Danny's going to have to make a change because uh, we're hearing Sapreet Singh has been released back to his club. So in terms of in terms of going into this game against Bahrain, do you see many personnel changes from the outset? Um, apart from that one, the enforced one, no, not really. I think they all put their hand up and did well enough to, to be included for this one. Um, obviously, he's going to have to keep an eye on um, who's doing what in terms of training. Um, and loads and obviously you know some of these guys you know like Chris Wood he probably wants to play 90 minutes but Burnley are probably going to be on the phone saying you know he's, he's got a game um, this weekend in, in the Premier League and I know he's carrying an injury so some of that will come into into Danny's mind I, I assume because you want to keep a good relationship with with the clubs that have got your best players at so you know obviously he's, he's um, done the right thing on the least separate but you know if there's someone like a Chris Wood does he only need to play 45 minutes or 60 minutes and then somebody else gets, a, gets an opportunity there, I suppose. What do you think of our strike force um, at the moment behind Chris Wood? I mean, he's a talisman, as you say. He just always seems to be available. He always turns up. Uh, he's been the go-to guy for us up front. But um, what do you see behind him in terms of goal-scoring strength? Yeah, I think there's, there's guys that are threatening. I think, you know, you look at Elijah Just, I think he's scoring a lot of goals for his club. Um, I think he will transfer that into, into international football sooner rather than later. Callum McCower, again, like I've already spoken about, he's another one. He's scored a few goals this season for the, for the same club as Elijah. I think he's got goals in him. But I think, you know, let's not forget there are others to come into into the squad um, at a later date. The likes of Marco Rojas, who, who knows where the goal is, Costa Barbarusis. Um So there's a few around. Um, but I suppose the worry is always the same. Is if Chris Wood's not fit or, or not released, where, where do the goals come from? So I think that's one of the... One of the issues that probably needs to be addressed: um, can we can we create or help make uh, more goal scorers for, for New Zealand? Uh, well, if we look at um, the next opponent, Bahrain, it's been uh, 12 years since we last played them. That memorable night uh, in Wellington, they they knocked over Curacao 4-0, which sort of sets alarm bells to the to the strength of what they might possess. What are you expecting from them in terms of style compared to uh, Curacao? I just think they'd be better at what they're trying to do. I mean, Curacao tried to play out from the back and were often often overturned the ball, you know, pretty easily. To be honest, I don't think uh, New Zealand had to press too hard. I think that they weren't great at what they were trying to do. Whereas I think Bahrain will be much uh, much better drilled. I think they'll be able to do it a little little easier. Um, so I think it'll be picking the times when to press and when not to press. Um, I expect. Them to be more of a goal threat as well, you know, they, they stuck four in, um, had a lot more chances as well. I think it could have been more. So it'll be a lot more difficult, but I think it's, it was a good hit out, you know, like you said, 700 days or, or so without a game. Um, probably nice to start with a, with an easier one. I, I think they'll be ready. They've had time to train and, you know, they've done all the video analysis. I know Danny's pretty, uh, pretty hot on that. So I, I think they'll be well prepared. I expect it to be a pretty close game, to be honest. <clears throat> World Cup qualifiers in March next year, Paul, from New Zealand's point of view. Uh, we've got to be more active in these windows. I mean, you see these windows uh, that are set aside and you see all these friendlies being played uh, around the world. We simply uh, have just got to be more active and more aggressive in trying to find fixtures, don't we? Yeah, you know, I think we have to look to, towards Asia, really, to be honest, if, if need be. But we've got to get 
get games in. I think you know you don't want to be looking at it and going, oh, you know, we were just underdone. We, d- we didn't have enough games in time, and and for that reason, we weren't well prepared. I think we've got to make sure that we are. I, I actually look at this squad, and I think it's it's the best squad um, that I've seen in the time I've been here, um, and I include the the World Cup squad. I think this squad could be could be stronger. So many good young boys uh, doing such good good things and good work. Um, we need to really jump on that and make sure that we are well prepared going in and. You know, it'd be nice to make another World Cup, that's for sure. Domestically, uh, big news for women's football um, uh, around uh, with the Phoenix announcing two female coaches for their uh, women's A-League side. So uh, that, uh, that is interesting because, of course, women's sport and football is no exception to this, uh, getting a higher, higher profile on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming. I know the, the guys at the Phoenix and, you know, David Dome and, and, and Rob Morrison have, have been working tirelessly behind the scenes to get this, uh, you know, to come to fruition. And it's, it's great that it has. Obviously, it's a little late in the piece in terms of this season. Um, but it sounds like there's a, there's a squad already forming. Um, you know, Gemma and Nat will know a lot of the players personally from the FFDP, um, from the New Zealand setup. So I think it works well in terms of that, but, you know, uh, familiarity. So, you know, hopefully there's a competitive squad. They don't need to rip up any trees this first year. They need to just be competitive and then grow it from there. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's just great for the for the kids coming through, for the young women coming through, um, that now see a, a pathway into professional football that has not been there before. And the men's Phoenix side, what are you seeing in terms of how they're shaping up for next season? Yeah, look, it's going to be difficult. Obviously, the bombshell of, of Stephen Taylor um, retiring. I don't think many people saw that coming by the by the press releases. Um, obviously, you've lost the, the, your best player in the VR, so you're hopeful that the likes of David Ball and Justice Terrio and guys like that can really step up. It will give others an opportunity to to grow into into new positions, I suppose, um, within the team. But, it, it, you know, you're relying a lot on a few unproven guys coming in. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to get any signings in, you know, again, due to the COVID situation. They're looking at potentially January for that. So I think we're very light um, defensively this year, which would be a, a worry. Um, and obviously, creatively, without De Vio, is going to be difficult. But, you know, never write him off. If Talley has done a fantastic job over the last couple of seasons, and he, he always manages to get the best out of the group. So, um, again, I still think we'd be competitive enough. Uh, Paul, uh, in terms of the Phoenix and, and on domestic football, are there any players uh, threatening that, that uh, all-white squad as such that we have not been able to see because of COVID, because of uh, the ability to get in and out of New Zealand at the moment? Any young talent we should be keeping an eye on? Um, difficult one, but I mean, you've got to look at all the boys that have uh, signed for the Phoenix, you know, the likes of, of Sam Sutton. Um, you've still got Ben Wayne to come in. Um, Callum Elliott would probably be a chance as well. Um, out of the youngsters, out of the Phoenix, and you, you know, there's no reason why Alex Rufa, um, Clayton Lewis, those guys wouldn't be in and around the squad. And there's a few in Australia, um, Storm Roo, etc. But yeah, probably the young young ones are the Suttons and maybe Ben Old as well, um, who's just signed for the Phoenix mm. as an under twenty. Okay. You know, those guys should be should be pushing on um, and looking for an opportunity. And the good thing with Danny is he he doesn't really mind about what what age you are. You've seen that with the likes of Marco Stamanich and and guys like that. You know, if, if he feels you're good enough, he'll give you a shot. So. Um, I think that's something for those guys to aim at. Paul, before we let you go, I, I can't, I, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a, a, I'm a football naffy, but I'm a Spurs guy. But one of the great rivalries in, in football, which you've been a part of for a long time, is the Millwall one with West Ham. 
um, all sorts of stories around the hooliganism and that sort of thing. But on the field as well, was was that a, a, one of the, the greatest rivalries that you've had in football? Yeah, it was, it was the best one we had. I mean, you talk about Millwall, there's Millwall and Palace and Millwall with a lot of different London clubs, but West Ham was the one and it was made pretty clear um, from the start of my time there that if you if you beat West Ham, everything else was forgiven. Um, I remember one year we weren't doing particularly well. I think we, we ended up finishing 11th, but we beat West Ham during that season and, and no one seemed to care. Um, as long as you didn't lose to them in the season, which we didn't actually, all the time I was there, um, we didn't we didn't lose them. I mean, there was a couple of years that they were in the Premier League anyway. Um, we didn't face them, but the times we did, we didn't, we weren't beat, and that was that was the one fixture. I think Palace was probably the second one as well. Um, so you made sure you didn't lose in those games, and you were okay. So was that uh, something historical from on the field? I mean, because the the the, the rivalry goes back to before even West Ham were known as that. Uh, is it an on-the-field thing, or, or is it a straight-out off-the-field fan-based rivalry, which which has created that sort of dynasty? Yeah, I think it's more off-the-field. To be honest, I think it's the fan bases. I mean, I didn't, I didn't particularly dislike anybody that played for West Ham or, or, or Palace at the time. Um, I actually had friends in probably both of those sides, but the, I suppose the minute the whistle went, it was like you know we're doing what we need to do today for the next ninety minutes. We're not friends. We do whatever it takes to to get this one because it's so important for the fans and, and you know that's why you play you look at the over the last sort of 18 months having no fans in the ground you know football's been a poor shadow of itself and then you get the fans back in and it's just a, such a different experience and, and you know it's a lot of why you play you know I, I was a sort of player that was lucky enough to get a few players standing when I got the ball and, and that feeling you can't replicate that you know it's, it's, it's something pretty special so all for having the fans back in and, and, and making sure it's about them uh, Paul, just finally, uh, I can't imagine a football season without Paul Eiffel uh, uh, absolutely uh, lacing up the boots at some stage. What are you doing these days? And, and, and you've had academies and things. So what are you doing in football? No, I'm still playing. I'm still playing. I haven't, I haven't fully retired yet. I've played in the Central League for a while. Um, probably my last season at that level. But, you know, I, I don't see myself... Retiring, it's a, it's a funny one because people talk about, you know, oh, you've got to give the game away. I think, well, you know, why? Um, it's, it's it's now not my not my job. It's a hobby. Um, I love doing it. Let off a bit of steam at the weekend. It doesn't need to be as uh, as intense as it was, you know, training every day. But certainly it's nice to be able to get out with the boys and train a couple of times a week and get them up on the weekend. So still doing that. The coaching, um, the coaching certainly take over. Um, as, as, as the legs give way, um, and I think it's the next best thing, you know, uh, mentoring the next, the next guy to sort of take a path into professional football if that's possible. Paul, been great to chat to you. Uh, thanks very much for your input about uh, the All Whites in particular, but I, I love hearing those historicals about English football. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic, and um, I'm jealous because you are very much part of it. So uh, thank you for your time. Uh, all the best with uh, your continued career, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Eh? Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers.